You are listening to Serve, Protect, Lead, a podcast from the International Association of Chiefs of Police, where you will hear from ICP leadership and police leaders across the globe, sharing wisdom, insight, and perspective. Hello, I'm Dave Thomas, Program Manager with the IACP. We are here today to discuss a very serious issue, the deadliest calls. What are we doing to prevent the killing of our first responders on domestic violence calls? Today, I'm honored to be joined by one of the foremost experts on this topic, Lieutenant Mark Wynn, retired from Nashville Metro Police Department. Mark, would you please take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners and provide a brief overview of the topic? Uh, thank you, David. It's an honor to be with you as well. I, I'm, I, like you said, I'm a retired lieutenant detective, Nashville Metro Police. I've worked in law enforcement around 45 years now as a officer and detective, and now as a consultant, started working with IACP in 87 around executive training on domestic and sexual violence. Um, since 15 years here in Nashville on our SWAT team, and in more particular, Dave, I've lost four fellow officers killed responding to domestic violence calls. And that's not the total number of friends of mine who were killed in the line of duty, yeah. but just on domestics. And I've got two nephews on duty now, one in Tennessee, one in Texas. So yeah, I'm a typical cop family of five of six generations. So this is this is a particularly personal to me as well as I know is that everybody listening today who, who works in law enforcement has a family member in law enforcement. Um, this topic around domestic violence for, for years has evolved, and we can talk about that if you like, and how we look at it today versus the way my father, when he started policing in 1948, how they looked at it then. So we can discuss that. But the, the, I think the, the, the main objective today is just to start the conversation so we can change um, the way we are looking at domestic violence because victim safety, which we all should be offering, cannot be disconnected from officer safety. So I'll, I'll stop there and we can, we can move on to the more particular topics. No, absolutely, Mark. I think you, you hit the nail right on the head. I think the more that we uh, unwrap this and look at it um, in context and um, the more we have a clear view, we, we see that uh, victim safety and officer safety absolutely are one and the same. And, and that's the part of the importance of today's talk. So, um, if you could, what's the history of law enforcement's understanding, training, and really response to the crime of domestic violence? Well, tr traditionally, they, again, I can go back having conversations with my father when he started policing and my uncle and my brother and other members of my family. You know, we didn't really start defining domestic violence until the to the mid to late 70s. The laws didn't define it. There was no warrantless arrest provisions in any state law. Mm -hmm. We weren't working with advocacy. There was, and it wasn't that we just were negligent and didn't understand it, but there was just, we just hadn't evolved as a society. Now the changes came along in the 80s. Uh, when I started policing in 77, they were teaching mediation techniques in police academies. They did in mine as well. They did their best, but it didn't work. So in the 80s, we started looking at it differently. The misdemeanor laws for warrantless arrests started to happen, which meant we had to arrest people for crimes we didn't witness. Social change came along the, uh, from the community. Advocacy started working inside police departments, which gave us a, a different view of it. Uh, increased liability uh, legally for not responding.
responding, and there's there's there's, a, there's volumes of lawsuits against police for not doing enough. And then research focused on the impact of arrests. You know, starting back in, I think it was 88 or 87, the Attorney General said the preferred response is arrest. That changed everything for us. That meant we went after offenders. So once we started looking at it differently, we saw the causes. We saw the motives. We saw the tactics. And, and you know as well as I do, Dave, you've done this work as long as I have. You know, power and control is who these people are. This is what they do. And the power and control tactics used by an offender not only is, is to create inequality and intended to threaten the victims and manipulate the victims, it's also used by the offender to manipulate, threaten, intimidate, and attack law enforcement because they've been killing officers since, you know, we've been registering the death of officers. And I, you know, I, I often when I talk to cops around the country, I say, look, you've, you've got to understand how long this has been going on. Our first officer killed in the line of duty, the very first officer, Killing line of duty on a brand new Nashville City Police Department, 1875, was Robert Frazier killed on a domestic. So that's a little bit of the history, and we have to look forward. And look, you know, we weren't negligent. It was just that we were just trying to understand it like society. Now we know a lot more. Well, and and it sounds, Mark, like what you're saying is, you know, it's we know more what to look for and what to listen for and and apply. Um, in these situations. And, um, you know, it, it has been a, a long uh, learning curve, but, uh, you know, now that we, we know better, uh, we really need to do better and put the tools in the hands of, of the men and women out there doing this work so that they can uh, do better. Now, you know, we've worked together, we've had the honor of working together um, at the National Law Enforcement Leadership Institutes on Violence Against Women Crimes. Uh, we've done training all over the country to chiefs, um, deputy chiefs, sheriffs, undersheriffs. What, what ha lessons um, have been learned by our top cops um, with respect to this issue and, and to this topic? Well, you, you know, Dave, the, the thing that stands out to me after all these years of, of talking to thousands of police officers is the, is the long view when you talk to a seasoned police executive. They, they themselves, this is not something that was, was brought to us from the outside of law enforcement. They told us that there are common characteristics to these crimes, which means some of these crimes are predictable. That's critical for the safety of a responding patrol officer. They have told us that we miss crimes, and that's an admission that we've missed some of the major felonies, witness intimidation, kidnapping, you know, threats, all kinds of sex assault. We, we've missed these crimes. And then they told us why we missed these crimes. Obviously, it's communication inside police departments. It's the training that we give our officers. It's the, some of the attitudes, which, you know, are not as bad as they were when I first started policing. And then the last one, they told us what the impacts are. And one of the first things they told us, and Dave, you've heard them as well as I have, when we miss these crimes, everybody's at risk. And there's no excuse for it because there's instruments today that we can get a pretty good predictor. You know, the, the old saying, the best predictor of future violence is past violence. Yep. We've been talking about that for, for, for 100 years. We're getting much better at predicting future violence today. We can talk about that as we go along. Well, yeah, and, you know, saying that, Mark, I know in, in our trainings and, and one thing that we've recognized and we notice is that, you know, the, the, one of the changes is, is going from 
um, recognizing the co-occurring the co-occurring nature of of the different things that are going on, like you said, you know, stalking and 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 strangulation and these other co-occurring crimes that if we ask about, we we find out about, and treating these calls as um, course of conduct types of incidents rather than single incidents, and recognizing the context so that we can really um, pull things into focus. Uh, can you talk a little right. bit about uh, the progression of the misdemeanor assault to murder? I mean, uh, you know, some of us, when we first started, I know, in, you know, in 1986, when we started our domestic violence unit in Montgomery County, you know, a little bit, I mean, not I'm, in 96, I'm sorry. Uh, a lot of times domestic violence units were called uh, homicide prevention units. So what's been, what's the progression of the misdemeanor assault to murder? And by the way, they still are today. More, more and more, we're seeing police departments start to put together, you know, domestic and sexual violence units, which, by the way, gives you a specialist. People who don't skim past cases, they actually look at the progression. And, you know, forever, I, I, would, I, would, I would bet that everybody listening to the podcast today has been trained on the cycle of violence. You know, we, we coined it years ago. I used it. And training is uh, Lenore Walker gave it to us from a book, The Battered Woman. The cycle of violence is not used anymore because what we see is not just a cyclic crime. We see a crime on a continuum. Mm -hmm. It just goes on and on and on until there's, there's this horrible event where victims killed or an officer's killed or, or, or a child is killed. So we know that this is, this is a, a crime that, that we can predict. And when we looked at our murders, I'll give you an example. When we looked at our murders in Nashville, I worked in homicide for years. When we finally looked, drilled down into the, into the domestic murders, 80% of our domestic homicides, 25 or 30 every year, there was a stalking element before the murder. Yeah. There was some history. There was some context. And context is everything in these cases. As you know, Dave, we have to look at the context. In other words, we want our officers to draw a contextual picture of the crime, but they've got to start asking the question, which leads me to, you know, to the, the style of policing that we've done since the beginning of time, which is incident-based policing. Mm -hmm. This is one of the things that chiefs, you know, the chiefs told us that. They said, we've got to break away from the incident-based policing, which, by the way, is necessary when you're working an incident crime like a home burglary or auto theft. They don't work with these crimes. You've got to look at it as a course of conduct because most of these crimes, and you know as well as I do, they're interconnected and co-occurring to other crimes. When you see domestic violence, you often see stalking. You see stalking, you often see sex assault. So we know that now from our analysis, which means we've got to share that with everybody in the ranks, including our dispatchers, which often don't get training at all. They're sending our young women and men to these calls. It's so dangerous, and they, they need to understand this well. I didn't mean to get off on a, no. a, a other persons involved, but I think it's really important that, that we need to start sharing all the data that we have on the risk officers uh, on their uh, first response. Yeah, well, and, and that just, that, that takes us to understanding really, uh, I mean, it seems I hear you saying understanding the precursors and the signs that lead to um, deaths of citizens, deaths of officers, and, you know, asking the question, and, and I'll ask it, do we understand the significance of lethality assessments, um, that they are not only for the, for the high-risk victim, but for everyone involved? 
You know, Dave, I, I do a lot of training around the country uh, in big and small agencies. I spent a lot of time in Pennsylvania, Illinois, Texas, uh, Montana, uh, Tennessee. Uh, so I'm talking to officers every day, and I'm starting to see something interesting. We've now got the attention of officers when it comes to predictability of, of future violence. Uh, as you know, coming from Maryland, you know, Dr. Jacqueline Campbell at Johns Hopkins really was the pioneer around lethality assessment. As, as I remember very well, when, when she first came out with her assessments, they were for mental health. And law enforcement saw it and said, wait a minute, you mean mental health has got some way to gauge the possibility of a homicide? And she said, yes. And that led to the LAP, which is used in hundreds, hundreds of police agencies, including mine. I think. And you may know this, every agency in Maryland, yes, right. I think, uses it. That's correct. And what it does, it, you, you have questions that you wouldn't normally ask on a domestic violence call, like, is he threatening to kill you? Is he threatening to kill your children? Is he jealous? Is he stalking you? Is he strangled you? These are above and beyond. And I think this is great. And the Canadians have uh, one called ODERA, the Ontario mm -hmm. Domestic Abuse Risk Assessment. The Brits have one called SAFER. The Australians are, are using one. I was in Brazil a couple of years ago training police. They created one there. Moldova, I've trained the Moldovan police. They have their own risk assessment. You can see what's happening here. We finally acknowledged after all these years, despite being told that homicide was the only crime you couldn't prevent, we're proving that wrong. And so the the so the lethality assessments I, and you know Mark what I found and and the more that we're utilizing these lethality assessments and what what agencies what officers are telling me is they are now able to have articulable facts and circumstances to tell a victim why they they feel that they are in danger um, and and so forth. They, they have facts and circumstances to be able to articulate to the court why this individual needs a protection order and things of that sort. So they, and, and there are things, you know, when you look at that lethality assessment, some agencies, some officers will say, well, that's just more work. And you know what? It's, it's adding to the depth of knowledge that we have about the incident so that we can more effectively make the law keep its promise. You know, Dave, I agree with you 100%. And to turn away from an instrument or a procedure that offers additional safety to an officer is tombstone mentality. Yeah. The risk, danger, lethality assessment, it's, it, is, it documents every domestic violence call if you do it right. And it gives you valuable intelligence yeah. should a future event escalate into a critical incident. I know from, from responding to 600 tactical situations over the years. Most of those are related to domestic violence. Absolutely. The FBI has told us 75, 90% of hostages taken every year are taken during domestic. You talk to any negotiator that's worked any time yeah. in this, they'll tell you, this is where we spend most of our time. So if I were to, you know, walk into any chief's office in this country and say, look, chief, I'm going to offer you something. I'm going to offer you a, a, a skill that will reduce the likelihood of future harm to your officers and victims. I want to help you recognize and understand uh, and risk factors quickly. I'm going to show you how to spread them around to other people like prosecutors and probation. I'm going to give you a, a well, you know, uh, worked out case management process. And I'm going to show you how to do intelligence-led policing. Why would you not want to do that? Yeah. 
Now that's not a waste of time. And I, I agree. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm old school. I know we don't have a lot of time. Cops today don't have a lot of time, but this is worth it. Uh, one officer's life is, is worth all of it for the whole country. As far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. So we should take a look at, and, and by the way, and which means not just for the chief, all the way down to the sergeant's level. I was patrol sergeant five years. You know, when you work with these young officers, you mentor them, you instill in them for the rest of their career how important it is not to outrun your headlights. In other words, you know, don't take these calls for granted. Don't don't rush in. Make sure you, that you work out your strategies and never let your guard down, because these offenders are very very smart. They're very calculating, and if you're offered any kind of service to a victim of domestic violence, you're now a problem for the offender. Yeah. Well, and speaking of that offender, Mark, you know, what's the profile of this category of offender? You know, who, why, and how? How does this happen so often? I mean, right now, I think we're up to uh, 16 so far this year. Officers killed in the line of duty, intervening in in where the, the intervening in domestics where the perpetrator has. Uh, a, a you know has run-ins with the law with respect to intimate partner violence. What's this? What's this guy or girl look like? And it's mostly men who are these offenders, right? You know, and Dave, in June alone, Mississippi, California, South Carolina, Kentucky, West Virginia, we lost eight officers in one month. Now, this this is a lot of officers killed in the line of duty on domestics. I mean, I think a lot of this obviously is the weaponry that we see today. It, you know, it, it, it's, it defeats, you know, the standard issue body armor, the, these high-powered weapons on the street, their availability. And I'm not a gun grabber, but I think, you know, when it comes to these offenders, we have to look at the way we confiscate weapons. We have to look at the way, you know, we train our officers on approach. But the profile uh, has, you know, has kind of fleshed out this way. It's this is, according to Dr. Richard Johnson. Now, Dr. Johnson is a researcher uh, in Ohio that's taken officer-involved domestic shootings and assaults to a higher level than the FBI has. And what uh, Dr. Johnson has told us from all of the the shootings that he's looked at over the last 20, 30 years, that it's usually uh, an older, middle-class, white offender. They're usually intoxicated. They had prior domestic offenses. Um, uh, they, um, the officers are obviously uh, shot as they arrive on the scene. The offender's usually outside the home. Johnson has worked out a pretty good uh, profile of the offender. Now, that doesn't include all of them, but, I mean, when you look at the numbers, they, you can't, the numbers are the numbers, and you can't, you, you can't, uh, you can't ignore them. Of course, you know, Dave, this is the most responded to call in the country. I mean, the DV is now. And the FBI, and I've tracked this for years because I've taught it, the FBI traditionally and their officers killed in the line of duty has put DV in the top 10 right behind, you know, flying a police aircraft, police pursuits, you know, traffic stops, suspicious persons. But in the last few years, the FBI has now put domestic violence, and I think it's 22%. Um, that is the biggest one now. And, and you can't discount the other cases where officers are killed by an offender who has a long history of domestic violence, like what we're seeing in Gerald Feynman. You know, he's a prosecutor yeah. mm -hmm. who's looked at offenders who've killed their officers there in California. Half these offenders also have a, 
have a criminal history of strangulation in their in their in their jacket. So we're, we're now that we know much more about domestic violence, we are now I think doing sort of an informal fatality review on our officers. But I think it's time we in this country and national law enforcement, you know, establish a protocol on how to assess and look at the losses that we've had so we can protect the future of policing. Excellent. Well, Mark, I really want to thank you for spending time with us today. This has been an excellent conversation and one that I, I, I believe that, that we uh, need to continue to have. So thank you for your time. Um, we look forward to hopefully having you back again. Let's, con let's continue to do work in this area so that we can uh, stem this tide. Thank you, Dave, and, and I, I appreciate the time, and I just you know, want to relay to all of our leaders out there, let's keep a close eye on these young women and men. They're, they're, they've got a much more dangerous job today than we had when we started, so let's keep an eye on them. All right. Thank you, sir. Be safe. Yes, sir. Thank you.